I want to jump into part three of this message series in culture wars. And uh, the the title of this message is Humble Submission. That's a word that we all love, right? We just love the idea of just saying... uh, I'm going to submit, right? I'm going to place myself under authority. But you know what? It's a word that Scripture uses a lot in a lot of different contexts. It uses it in the context of marriage. It uses it in the context of the fellowship of the body of Christ. It uses it in the context of how we relate to the government. There are so many different ways that we submit, but the most important thing is that everything comes under the authority of our Heavenly Father. Right? Everything comes under his authority and the authority of his word. That's the, the book that he's given us to govern the way that we behave. And so everything should come under alignment there. And so it starts with us placing ourselves under his authority first. And that's a good place to be. Right? We sometimes think of submission as a negative thing, but when we're submitting to a God who loves us and who cares about us and who has our best interest at heart, that's a wonderful place to be. I can't think of a better place to be than under the authority of a loving father. You think about uh, your own kids. Maybe you, you have kids and, and they're at a young age right now. Um, how many know that they're better off submitting to your authority than doing whatever they want to do? Some parents haven't figured that out yet, right? And those children are monsters, right? Those are, not, those are not healthy children. They're not in a good place because if they're not under the authority of loving godly parents, then, then they're missing out on, on what God's best is for them. And so we learn that in the story of Daniel, as, as we're looking, going through the book of Daniel today, we learn that as he places himself under the authority of the king and and his leadership and then ultimately has to choose to disobey the king because he's under God's authority first. We learn a lot from Daniel's life and I think we learn how we should act and respond and and live our lives in accordance to those principles. So um, we're going to pick it up in Daniel chapter 6 this morning. And I just want to fill you in because a lot has happened between chapter 3 where we left off with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace. And um, then um, Nebuchadnezzar pulls him out and he's like, I I made a mistake. I was wrong. And and so we have this big moment where he says, everybody's going to worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, then something else happens in his life and, and often money and power and influence corrupt people. And so Nebuchadnezzar becomes prideful, and Daniel has another dream that he interprets for, for Nebuchadnezzar. Um, God takes away his sanity for a while. Like He goes, goes crazy, and then he humbles himself and repents. And often, as we see in Scripture when that happens, God restores people who are humble and repent and submit themselves to that authority. And so he's promoted back again to king. He's restored. His kingdom is restored. And he promotes Daniel as a result of that. And then something else happens and Nebuchadnezzar is killed. And there's a lot more to this story. I'm just giving you a little little bit. You have to go and read it for yourself, right? That's why you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, take one of the ones in the pews in, in the seats in front of you. We don't have pews. Uh, in the seats in front of you. Grab one of those. Take it home. That's yours. We want you to have access to the Word of God. But read through uh, the book of Daniel. I'd encourage you to do that. There's so much in there. It's an incredible book. We're going to pick it up in chapter 6 this morning in verse 1. And there's a new king in town. 
Uh, his name is Darius. I have no idea. There's arguments over how to pronounce it. But like I say with Bible names, if you just say it with confidence, people just assume that you know how it's pronounced. So I'm going to just go with Darius. And uh, it pleased Darius, verse 1, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. So already we're seeing kind of this hierarchy in the kingdom. We have the king, then we have the three uh, main leaders, which Daniel was one of, and then we have these 120 satraps below him. And verse 3 says, Then this Daniel became distinguished above the other high officials and satraps. That's what the favor of God does, right? Because of an excellent spirit that was in him. Now, I want that to be said about me, right? I mean, if, if I could be paid a compliment, like that would be something that, that inside of me, what's inside of me reveals itself to be of a godly nature and a godly character. And Daniel had that and people saw it and it was recognized and he was promoted because of it. And that's what the favor of God does. When you trust in God, when you're obedient to his word, God uses you in an exceptional way. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom, and the high officials and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. What an incredible statement about Daniel. Now, here's the deal. When you walk in God's favor, you also walk with a target on your back, right? When you're walking in God's blessing, other people are going to see that. And they're going to be envious of it. They're not going to understand that it's God that's promoting you. They're just going to see you as somebody who's getting more than they should in life. And it's not necessarily a financial gain or a position of power like it was for Daniel in this instance, but it could be God's favor demonstrated in a bunch of different ways. It could be that your, that your family is uh, loving towards one another and, and people see that and they don't understand, well, that's because we're being faithful to the principles of God. No, they see it and they're like, I wish I could have that. Why does he have that? I'm jealous of that, right? And, and sometimes when God's blessing is on your life, when you're walking God's favor, you're walking with a target on your back. So verse five says this, then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Now, does that, does that fit our culture today or what? Right? I mean, we are doing our best to honor the word of God, and our culture is trying to make being a, a follower of Christ an immoral thing. Now, they're trying to twist it and turn it into something that God didn't design, but they're trying to make it seem like like we are being bigoted, like we are being hurtful, like we are being inconsiderate of the world around us by following the principles of Scripture. This is, this is what happens in our world, right? This is the forces of darkness against the forces of light. This is a spiritual battle, and this is good versus evil. And so Daniel neither boasted nor hid his disobedience uh, to the king's command. I, I want you to get this as, as you'll see. 
They make a law, and Daniel um, does not mess around. All right, um, verse 6 through 9. Then these high officials and satraps came to the agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, first of all, who has a den of lions? All right, I mean, that's, that's just kind of a messed up thing to begin with. Like, they trap these lions somehow, and then they just have a, a den of them available in case they need to throw some humans in there. I, I don't understand it, but apparently he had this. Verse 8, Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians. Now, remember a couple of months ago when we talked about the book of Esther, right? And we had kind of the same thing where the king made a decree or a command that, um, that all these uh, Jews should be killed. And as a result, um, the, the law couldn't be changed. And so in the end, they made another law that basically said they could defend themselves. And um, that was how they got around that. But this was a common practice in the um, Mede and Persian empires. Uh, and therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. Can I tell you something? The easiest way to manipulate someone is by telling them how great they are. Right? Flattery um, allows for manipulation. And don't we see this in politics today? Right? Like people compliment each other. They don't mean it. They're not genuine. It's not, it's not a, a thoughtful comment. It's, it's to manipulate them to get your way. And people who do this, they're everywhere. They're in your workplace. They're uh, in your supermarket. They're, they're all around you. And if you hear empty flattery um, and you think, oh, that's nice that they said that, just not, not that you can't take a compliment. I'm not saying that you shouldn't take a compliment, but, but be wary when people are giving you praise and, and understand that there sometimes are motivations behind those compliments as well. We saw this play out with both King Darius and with the previous king, King Nebuchadnezzar, right? Um, he, he started out building, a, Nebuchadnezzar made a statue of himself and said, hey, everybody, why don't you worship me? And now King Darius, they're like, oh, King, you're great too. Like people should pray to you and, and no other gods. Oh, well, thanks. That, that's really nice, guys. Let's make a law about it. Sure, that sounds like a great idea. We'll just sign off on that. Um, but watch how Daniel responds. Now, we can agree, right, that this law is not a law that a believer can follow. In fact, 1 Thessalonians tells us to pray without ceasing. Okay, so if we're a believer in Christ, stopping praying is not something that's a godly thing. And, and Daniel knows this. And so verse 10 tells us, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. This was his habit. This was his practice. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. This wasn't Daniel saying, hey, I'm going to be rebellious. I'm going to start breaking the law here. No, this was something that Daniel did every single day. 
It was a habit. It was his part of who he was. He was being obedient to his God. He made it a practice. He made it a habit. And uh, verse 11, Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. A couple things that I want us to note about Daniel. First of all, he didn't hesitate. He didn't hesitate to choose God's way first. It says, as soon as the decree came down, Daniel said, I'm going to go back to the place where I always go. I'm going to be obedient to the word of God. I'm going to spend time praying and asking for God to move. He'd open his windows towards Jerusalem, and he would pray that that God would restore what had been taken away. Um, And the second thing is that he prayed just as he had always done. This was who he is. This was his character. This was his nature. This defined who he was. He was a man of prayer, and he prayed regularly because that was his routine. That was his habit. That was his practice. This was who he was, not just some fake outrage. right? Sometimes people respond to things that they don't like with, with this fake outrage because it's like, ah, oh, it bothers me that, that they can do that. And so like, we're going to fight it even though it really has nothing to do with anything that they believe in. This was something that Daniel believed in. It was his conviction. It was his character. It was who he was. The third thing I want us to notice about Daniel is that he didn't whine and complain about the fairness of the law. He could have because it was unfair. In fact, it was clearly written to target him. But he just simply chose to be obedient and to honor the Lord. As we continue the story, the bad guys go and, and tattle, right? They go and tell the king, oh, king, Daniel, we just saw him in the window. He was praying. He broke the law. And now things start to click into place for King Darius. He recognizes what was going on and how he was manipulated. Then the king, when he heard these words, was distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. In other words, he's like, idiot, idiot, right? (laughs) So he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. He was trying to come up with a plan. But these men came back. Uh, came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. So the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God whom you serve, continually deliver you. And as the stone was brought down and laid on the mouth of the den, the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. He's thinking, maybe if I'm fasting, the lions will too, right? No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. This king was devastated by what had happened. Leaders making laws with unintended consequences. 
think if, if we were to maybe get some honesty out of our politicians today and ask them really in their heart of hearts what they think of some of the legislation that's been passed over the past few months and over the past few years, if we were to ask them, are you really proud of this? Like, are you really feeling good about the decisions that you've made? I think in their heart of hearts, they would say no. But sometimes pressure and influence from culture puts people in a box. And when you tie that with money and when you tie that with power, it's a dangerous thing. We have to understand the world that we're living in. Um, one of the things that, that I talked about a couple of weeks ago is separating people from issues. Right? Individuals are not issues. Individuals are created in the image of God, and God loves them, and God cares about them. And even though they're doing things and supporting things that maybe are contrary to what we believe and what we stand for, it's our responsibility as the church to love people and to care about people. And so we can have a disagreement on something and we can believe something different and we can stand for different things and still see people who are completely opposite to what we believe, completely opposite to what the Word of God says, and see them as God's creation and love them the way that God loves them. And that's not always easy to do because some people wear their issues on their sleeve, right? And those are the hardest people to get along with. In fact, it's probably the reason why, why nobody in politics gets along, at least in front of cameras today. Right? They, they don't get along with each other because it's constant opposition and they wear their issues on their sleeves. If we can see people as people, it will change the way that we interact with the world around us. Now, what's crazy about this story is Daniel, as, as he's being cast into the lion's den, as you hear this story... At no point do you see Daniel just like, oh no, what am I going to do? You don't see him panicking. You don't see him freaking out. right? The only one that's freaking out is who? Darius, the king. He's like, what have I done? That's because Daniel trusted God. It's because he placed his faith in a God who was able to take him in a difficult circumstance, in a situation that's lose-lose. And turn it into something good. Listen, don't panic when leaders do the wrong thing. God is not hindered by men's stupid decisions. He is not held back by sinful behavior. Men are sinful. They're going to sin. right? Uh, stupid are going to do stupid. Okay? But God's kingdom isn't hindered by poor leadership decisions. In fact, some of the greatest moves of God in the history of our world happen under the greatest persecutions. Forty years ago, there were one million Christians in China, one of the most oppressive cultures to the, to the work of Christianity in the entire world. Today, it's estimated that there are 100 million Christians in China. 
that is an incredible testimony of how God is able to move in the most difficult circumstances. He doesn't need the cooperation of governmental leaders. Now, I'm not saying that it doesn't matter and that we shouldn't care what our government does. But I am saying that God's kingdom is not dependent on it. And that's an incredible promise. And so we don't have to live in fear over what might happen. Um, if God can do that in China, why can't he do that in the United States? And I love the example of Daniel. I love his humility and his heart. As you see this throughout the first six chapters of this book, which are kind of the, the storyline of Daniel and then the rest are his prophecies, you see Daniel giving honor to people who really, frankly, haven't earned any honor. Our responsibility is to build the kingdom despite the system, not to try to turn the system into the kingdom. Right? The best human government ever created will never come close to the kingdom of God. People break stuff. It's what we do. It's what we're good at. Now, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago my passion for reaching our schools. Um, and I think we can agree that um, there are a lot of people in the educational system that are working for different objectives than we are as the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, that's why I believe that we need godly people in our schools. And uh, a couple of years ago, God opened the door um, for Ben to start a new job at, at Chanhassen High School. And so not only does he have the opportunity to be a godly influence there, but he's gotten plugged in uh, with the FCA as well, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And uh, he shared a testimony with me a few weeks ago, and I want you to hear that as well. So Ben, would you come and share that with us? All right. Uh, as Paul had said, I did uh, share with him uh, via text message a few weeks ago. And unwritten rules of modern day texting is you keep it short, sweet, to the point. And what God was doing and how excited I was, I was unable to follow those unwritten rules. <laughs> so I sent him very first in all caps, heads up, long text alert. And it, it was probably a couple pages of scrolling through, and he responded back after reading through all those paragraphs and said, got to be honest, usually as the pastor, when I get something that says long text alert, it's rarely a good thing. Um, so I, I was actually really excited to hear what, uh, what you had said. Um, so I work out of the dean's office, and as a hybrid role of security slash supervising the students. So a lot of the times, my interactions with the students are not always the best. Um, you decide to slam someone's head against the wall while you're walking with me to, to go um, get caught, you know, vaping or drugs in the bathroom. That's me. So I still try to escort those individuals in, in a loving way to let them know I care about you, but what you did was not acceptable. Uh, there is one group of students I was able to get involved with besides coaching uh, the, the baseball teams, and that's through the FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. One of my coworkers last year had gotten me involved with that, and he had stepped away, so now I'm the, the co-chair for that. Uh, for those who don't know, Fellowship of Christian Athletes is uh, 
extracurricular program where people who are in different athletic competitions or sports teams get together, talk about that, but they also talk about God. What, what, um, it, what does it look like to be a Christian on the athletic field? And so in, in the school, as, as Paul was saying, the Christian standpoint, the separation of church versus state is, is pretty strong, at least in the district I, I work in. There's two other leaders that help me with the FCA, but we have about 10 to 12 LGBTQ community licensed staff members there. Um, at the beginning of the year, when I had stepped in, I had just started asking, because FCA does have to be student-led, I can't legally lead a Christian organization in, in public school. And one student asked me if I'd be willing to do that for them this year. And they didn't know how many people were gonna come, and I just remember thinking, what's the point of putting myself out there if only one person's gonna be there? So I started praying, you know, I remember telling my wife that, you know, I'm kinda nervous because I don't know how many kids are gonna show up, and I'm like, you know what? Maybe if God, if you give me five kids, let's make it worthwhile. And the first time I opened it, opened the door in the morning, 50 students showed up. And they, uh, yeah, that's. And the, the students would, um, you know, they'd lead, but they'd kind of show a video series, and then they'd just go about their day. And I'm like, there, there has to be more, because, like, these students are living in a world of spiritual opposition, and, like, their whole world's gray. And once in a while in that group, I could see a student get a little light bulb moment of, hey, I understand something resonated with me in the video series we were watching. And then they go about their day and they forget all about it. And I'm like, there, there has to be more. So uh, most of the time I was told with that group, I'm not allowed to speak or preach. I can chaperone, but it has to be student led. Then they told me it has to be before school, even though all the other extracurricular hot topic clubs, uh, like an LGBTQ community, that can be during school. Um, there's a dedicated prayer room for Muslims they can go to during school. I'm not saying that shouldn't be allowed as well, but I didn't understand why can't, if students want to do this, do I have to do mine at 7 a.m.? So in case any of those students happen to be watching, um, I will give you props for showing up at 7 a.m. On, uh, on a school day. That's like five o'clock for us adults. You know, that, that takes some <laughs> dedication and commitment. Um, but one of the students who I, I could see the light bulb moment kind of going off for him, uh, he had asked me, how come you don't ever speak? And, and I told him, I said, I'm not allowed to. He's like, what if I ask? What if I ask, will you speak? I'm doing it, and I'm requesting you do it. That's no different than if a student asks a question in the classroom, they're allowed to. So I told him, you know, I'll think about it. And really, that was confirmation for me. Um, as a few weeks prior, I had met with a local youth pastor who I'd brought in to, to help speak for the groups. And um, I always felt inadequate speaking in front of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes group because I didn't play big time sports. I played at a small little um, Christian college, so I felt like inadequate of like, my story doesn't really matter. These guys are going getting D1 scholarships somewhere. They're a better athlete than I was. Some of the speakers I'd bring in either played in college or even played professionally. So I'm like, that's who they want to hear. 
Uh, but that student, when he asked me, he said, no, 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 I think you have a story that people need to hear. And the pastor, you know, a couple weeks before, when I'd shared with him why I want to bring him in, and I told him that the students are struggling with identity, knowing who they are in Christ and being able to live that in the culture, not just in the school, but in their personal lives, instead of keeping God in a box. And so I shared my story with uh, the local youth pastor, and he goes, what the heck do you need me for? He's like, "That your story is what these students need to hear. So um, I, I did talk with them, and I shared about our testimonies, why our testimonies matter. A lot of times, I think as Christians, and especially for the students, they feel like their testimony is, this is who I was before God, I lived my life, I kept sinning, I kept sinning, I kept sinning, and then all at once I got saved. And I called out that unless you were saved a month ago, you know, where's the uptick? Like our testimonies are what is God doing in your life now? How are are you making a difference with the tools and abilities that he's given you? And so I I did share a little bit about, you know, my history of uh, growing up in a, you know, abusive household and, and leaving that being diagnosed with cancer at 17, being told by the doctors, you're not going to make it to 19 years old. Well, for those of you who haven't heard it, um, the short version of that is God miraculously healed me. I'm 36 years old, so there's no way that that's, that uh, we have to believe when we get a diagnosis from, from the medical field that that's final. God's word's what's final, and he can do miracles today. Um, but what I challenged the students for was the, the light bulb moment going off of, like, be bold in your faith. Your stories matter, just like my stories matter to them. They have stuff that their friends need to hear. And um, I, I ended the, the message with them with, I, because one of them had said, what's the biggest advice you can give us? And I said, well, I'll give you the same advice I gave my, my daughter Tatiana over there. This one actually came out in a moment of uh, frustration with like, oh, you're not listening, and why are you, why are you not listening? And, uh, you know, I just kind of was like, all right, here's, here's the deal, kid. We're going to cut with all this junk of dad says to do this, you want to do your own way. I'm going to give you the best advice anyone's ever given me. It's not who I am, it's whose I am. Once you can figure that out, your whole life changes and you're never going to be the same. And so I ended the, the message with that. And it kind of went on without, with my day, and the students had said, hey, thanks for speaking, and I thought that was about it. And the one teacher who helps me with the club had showed all the students that she had gotten a tattoo a couple, uh, couple months before, and she normally wears long sleeves to cover it up. Her tattoo on her arm said, remember, it's not about who I am, it's about whose I am. And she started sharing that with the students. And then the students came up to me and shared that. And I go, okay, well, what do we do about this then? And they had said, I, I don't know, what do you mean? And I go, well, ch- I challenge you to be bold. Be bold in your faith. Actually talk to your other students about God. And then quite a few more of them came up and told me how much it meant for them to understand that when there's hard times in life, there's still hope out there. And we just have to gra- grab and cling on to it. And they said, you know what, I think I'm going to start wearing Christian t-shirts to school. And the next day, quite a few of the kids were wearing Christian t-shirts, either, you know, a band or something that said Child of God. And they came up to me afterwards and said, at lunch, we sat at different tables, and other people were like, hey, I've never seen you in a Christian shirt before. 
you know, I go to church too, but it feels awkward about talking about this at school. So, you know, it's nothing that I did other than be obedient to God because I felt, you know, he was trying to tell me, you have something to share, and even though you were told you can't speak, I'm going to open a door and get you to speak whether, you know, you were told or not to. I'm going to open a door that you're just going to have to walk through and be obedient to. So thank you for letting me share that today. I don't believe that God is limited by a system, right? I think God can open a door when he needs to open a door, and that's, that's what that story really represents. Um, you know, if we're wondering what it means to submit to God and to authority, what it means to um, humble ourselves and to work within a system that's maybe opposed to us, Scripture give us, gives us some answers there. Romans 13, 1 to 5 says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities risks what God, resists what God has appointed, that those who resist will incur judgment. Uh, Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 1 Peter 2, 13-17, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. So a couple things um, that I want us to understand as, as we talk about this. First of all, here are some instructions that, that I think can benefit us. Understand that God's laws supersede any human authority. So if there's a conflict between what a human authority tells us to do and what God tells us to do, our responsibility is to be obedient to God. Okay? So God's word and then everything else comes under that. You know, um, just because some things are protected by law in this country doesn't mean that we as Christians should participate in them. Okay? Uh, I want us to understand that. Uh, and then also, if laws don't directly conflict with Scripture, we shouldn't disobey them. Right? We should be obedient to them. Here's the second thing. In areas that don't conflict, we are required by Scripture to be obedient to the laws of our land. That doesn't mean we have to agree with every policy. It doesn't mean that we can't be a part of changing that policy. Um, even protesting, it's okay as long as it's done in a legal fashion. Rioting and looting are not godly forms of protest, right? Those are violations of the law. Um, just as, um, just as dis disregarding the law because we don't like it isn't okay either. Uh, let me give you an example. You're going to love this one. All of you are going are gonna to stare daggers at me in just a second here when I talk about this. Let's talk about speeding for a second. Mm. Mm. You know, I, I don't necessarily like the fact that I have to drive 30 miles an hour sometimes, 
and there's a temptation in my heart to say, well, they don't really mean 30 miles an hour anyway, and, and as long as there's not a cop nearby, I'm good, right? What does scripture tell us to do? Honor those in authority. Humble our hearts. Be obedient. Um, wearing seatbelts. You might think, well, it doesn't matter. That's, that's my choice. I can decide that. Well, actually, it's, it's the law. So unless you can, can explain to me how wearing a seatbelt is a violation of God's word, <laughs> buckle up, okay? Paying your taxes, right? In fact, Jesus even addressed this one. Give to Caesar what is Caesar and to God's what is God's. Well, I, I think I can get away with not paying this part. Well, that doesn't really matter, right? It's our heart that matters. Here's the third thing. Don't look to start fights unnecessarily. Listen, there are some things worth fighting for. There are some things that we need to just let go, right? Just because you can win an argument doesn't mean that you should. I'm going to say that again, okay? Okay. Just because you can, I'm preaching to myself too, okay? Just because you can win an argument doesn't mean that you should. Pick your battles. Fight for the things that really matter. Here's the fourth one. Live your life as a believer so that everyone can see it. This is right from Daniel's life. What does he do when he hears the decree? He goes up to his room. He kneels. He faces out the window facing Jerusalem, and he prays. Why? Because he wants everybody to see that God is his authority. And even though he's willfully disobeying the law, he's doing it in a humble way. He's saying, God is my authority, and I'm trusting in him. So allow God to promote you rather than looking for how you can promote yourself. And let the Holy Spirit refine your character so that people will say about you what they said about Daniel. Well, we'd love to find some fault in him, but we just can't do it. There's nothing that we can find. What an incredible testimony that is. All right, now I want to close this morning by reading the rest of the story because we're not going to just leave Daniel in the lion's den, right? That would, be, that would be terrible. I can make you read it for yourself. But verse 19 says this. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, listen to him talk now, <laughs> has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. This is the guy that just sentenced him to death in a lion's den. Now if Daniel can humble himself and say that to a king who just condemned him to death, we can humble ourselves and submit to authority and honor those in authority over us. O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I've done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted his God. And the king 
commanded that those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. Yikes. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Now that is a gruesome ending to this story, right? But it just shows you that it was God that protected Daniel. It was God that protected him. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Listen, you are a channel of God's peace to the world. They should see God's peace in your life. If you're facing turmoil, if you're facing difficult situations, the world is watching you and how you respond. And if you're trusting in a God who can save, then you'll have peace. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Now, I can't vouch for, for King Darius's character. The guy's kind of a knucklehead, but that'll preach. That's the God that we serve. So I'm going to just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart this morning. And as we close in prayer, I pray that he would humble our hearts before him. That he would redirect us to a place where we would submit our hearts out of love for the people around us. That we would see people and not issues. And that God's love would emanate from us and that the world would experience his peace because of us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for each person. We thank you for the position that you place them in. Lord, each of us has different spheres of influence of people around us that are far from you that don't know you. And God, you've placed us in their lives. Help them to see you in us. Lord, I pray that we would be like Daniel, faithful every single day in honoring you. And Lord, no matter what happens in the world around us, that we would trust in you because you're able to do more than we could ask or imagine. So Lord, we give you our hearts and we give you this day. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.